You know, I, I want to, uh, to share with you today just something about my testimony and things that I've, I've done when, when I came to the Lord. And, and, uh, and plus, it's really hard for me to read in here because there's not a whole lot of light. Um, this, this, I never thought this would happen to me where I'd have trouble reading and I need glasses to read and, and, and the light problem. But, but in any case... Um, I didn't come from a Christian family, uh, and when I was in college, it was early on in my freshman time in college, and I was I was actually doing my laundry down in the laundry room, and, and a guy came up to me, and he was doing his laundry too, and we just started talking, and it turned out he lived on the same floor that I lived on, and and he was on the football team, and, and so I asked him if he wanted to become a professional football player. When, when he graduated, he says, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not good enough for that. I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, well, probably something related to lay ministry. So, what do you mean, lay ministry? He said, well, maybe become a missionary. And I thought, missionary? You don't need missionaries today. I mean, what do you need missionaries for? And, and uh, I had no idea that people still go out on mission. That's how clueless I was. In fact, to give you an idea of how little I really knew, I didn't even know that there was a claim on the table that Jesus died for my sins. I didn't even know that. So I, I grew up in a Jewish home in, in a Jewish community just outside New York City. And I didn't really understand much about these things. And he told me he'd like to come to my room and give me an illustration of the gospel. And he was an art major and I didn't know what he meant by an illustration. I thought he was going to draw a picture. That's, that's, that's what an illustration is. You know, in, in, in my mind, that's, that's what it was. And I said, you know, you can come to my room anytime you want. And So one, like, like the next day, he came knocking on the door and I opened it up and it was him. And he told me he was here to give me the illustration of the gospel. And, you know, what are you going to do? It, 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 was, it was like September of my freshman year, so I didn't know too many people, and I still was on that, in that mode where I had to be nice. And so I invited him in, and, and uh, he started sharing with me. And, and when he opened the Scriptures, he started sharing. He says, he, he had me read this verse that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, out of Romans. And I, I remember reading that. And he said, we're all sinners. And I said, I'm not. He said, no, we're all sinners. And I said, I'm not. <laughs> and and I just never imagined myself as a sinner. You, you have to understand that in modern Judaism, we don't dwell very long on sin. In fact, you go one day a year and you're usually all taken care of for the year. You're okay. And now, since I've come to know the Lord... It, it's like every thought, I'm wondering, have I just sinned again? It's, it's, a, it's a very different sort of perspective. And, and uh, then he opened up to the Gospel, according to Matthew, and, and he showed me this verse, and Jesus said, If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And I, it, was, it was as if I had been punched in the stomach. I mean, something really hit me. And I, I had had my stash of magazines because I had worked in a gas station on the highway. And at that time, there was no Internet. Nobody had home computers. And, and um, 
everything you, you had to get was out of magazines, and you could only buy these magazines through really seedy shops that nobody ever wanted to see, be seen going into. But I had a stash of them because when I worked in this gas station, I would clean the parking lots. That was part of my job. And, and the businessmen would throw their magazines out on their way home from, from wherever they'd been during the week. And so it had become a real part of my life, and it really had grabbed hold of my life. And it, it's, it's amazing the way sin and insidious things, how insidious sin is, it grabs hold of one's life so that you think you can do without it, but you really can't. Sort of like drugs or alcohol. When you, and, and you think you can do without it, and you can't. And, um, and that's why it hit me so hard, because I didn't know that that was really a sin. And I didn't know that there was this, this apparent righteous man that was talking about this that would even bring up a topic like that. I mean, why bring it up? I mean, why not just talk about love and stuff like that? I talk about adultery and uh, even looking on a woman. In a wrong way, you commit adultery in your heart. I mean, not even the act, just the thought. And my mind was just racing back to this thing. And I remember he had me read a number of different verses and... and uh, you know, the typical verses of how... And, and he drew this picture then of, of, of this chasm with man on one side, God on the other, this tremendous chasm. And whatever man does, all his good works, he falls to the bottom of this chasm and the bottom of this chasm is hell and you, you die and you go there forever. And, and how the only way to get across to God was through this bridge provided by the cross of Jesus Christ. It was a very simple picture. Why should that picture do anything for me? I mean, here I was a Jewish kid. Why should it do anything for me? A picture? And man on one side, God on the other, and a bridge through a man named Jesus Christ? I mean, think about it. This is, this is like going to a person and trying to convince them that Santa Claus is alive, is real. Santa Claus is real. And, and um, you know, every Christmas my son wants to watch this, this movie, the, you know, the, is it Christmas story? The, the, with the, the Christmas Express or something where they're on this train. And, you know, if you can't hear the bell, you don't believe in Santa Claus. And if you hear the bell, you believe. And if you think about the picture of the gospel, why should it impact a person? I mean, why, why doesn't Santa Claus impact a person the same way? There's something about the fundamental truth of the gospel that God has put in the heart of people. It was so foreign to me. Remember, I didn't even know there was a claim about Jesus dying for my sins. Why should it hit me so hard? Why should I even care what this righteous man, presumed righteous man, says about adultery in one's heart. Why should it impact me so strongly? And the amazing thing is, is because it is the truth. And God stands behind the truth of His Word. It is different than just another story. This is what impacts the lives of people. And so it impacted me. It hit me really hard. 
And after he left, I remember thinking about this because my life was so wrapped around these pornographic magazines. I knew it just had me. My, it just had my thoughts always racing back to the images in these magazines. And I remember he then came to my room and he told me there was a Bible study on the floor in, 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 in the dormitory. On that floor they were having a Bible study and I was welcome to come. And I didn't even know what a Bible study was. The terminology didn't even fit. What do you mean a Bible study? You have a Bible study. Is that a cubicle in which is a, there's a Bible, a Bible study? I didn't know what it even meant that, that, that there's this, this verb you know, it, I, it didn't even make sense. He says, you just come and, and, and they're going to be discussing the Bible and you can ask questions. And I remember going there and they were, they were uh, and he gave me a, a little Gideon's New Testament. And I started reading this thing and they were reading in John and, and questions were being asked of, of this, one, uh, uh, this one guy who was there. And uh, then after a couple of weeks, I started to notice something that the people who said that they were Christians were really different than people that I had formerly experienced. One of the really subtle things, which means nothing to most people, but to me was really profound, was that when I would sit in the cafeteria, and if I sat with this group of Christians, they'd be laughing. But they would not be laughing at someone else's expense. All I had known was, there's a group of people laughing... There's usually a person at that same table that is not laughing, that is the one being laughed at. And all of us have experienced that sort of pain. And they were just enjoying each other. So it was a, it was a different kind of enjoyment, a different kind of happiness than I had ever seen. So, so this thing that, that Jesus says that people will know you by your love one for another really hit me. I didn't know that Jesus said this. I just experienced that verse was personified through the people that I was meeting. And it was November 7th of my freshman year of college. So it was really early on that I was all alone in my room and I got on my knees, and I don't know why I got on my knees. As a Jew, I never got on my knees, and I know there's ex plenty of examples of that in the Scriptures. But you have to understand that modern-day Judaism is very different than Judaism in the Bible. Secular modern-day Judaism is very different. It's, it's sort of like, like what you read in the book of Acts and being a Baptist. You know? <laughs> there's a difference there. You know, John the Baptist and being a Baptist. You know, there's a little bit of difference, even though maybe he's the, you know, the founding father of, of, of our denomination or whatever it is. So, but, but it's different. And I was down on my knees. And this verse that was read to me, that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart, kept on pounding on my heart. Why should that happen? I've heard lots of things, lots of statements. Why should, why should I be under such conviction? And the amazing thing is, because it's the truth. It's the truth of the Gospel. And it resonates with the heart of man. 
even if they have no background in it. Because God has, has deemed that this is the truth. And people start to resonate with that. And so my heart started to, to move there. And, and I remember I was down on my knees and I said, God, I am sorry. I am sorry for this. I'm sorry for what, you know, the magazines that I've got, that I've looked at. Please forgive me. Because I am a sinner. Forgive me. And I remember there was this sense of His presence in my room. I was so sure that Jesus was standing in my room with me that I opened my eyes thinking I would see Him. But I never saw Him. But the sense of His presence was so real to me. And it was like this forgiveness was just raining in upon me. And this guilt that I didn't know, even know I had until this young man had shared with me, just fallen off me. It's, un, it, it, it's inexplicable from anything within my mind. I can't explain it. It was an experience that is difficult to explain to a thinking individual who has never experienced this. And it was this, as if this burden of guilt just automatically came off. And I didn't want to get up off my knees because His presence was so sweet. It was so good to be there. And I didn't tell anybody what happened. Didn't say anything. And this guy who had shared with me, his name was Mickey Cutler, few weeks later, he said to me, he says, Jim, have you received Jesus in your heart? And I said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He says, you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. I'm telling you, something happened in my life on that day, November 7th. That day, it happened in my life. And that was 1977. And to this day, when I think about that experience, just the, the, the closeness of Jesus Christ and the burden that fell off me, I just, just start getting teary-eyed because it impacted me so much. Now, I have known many people to come to know the Lord and still struggle with pornography. But the very verse that God used to convict me of my sin, He used to demonstrate to me His deliverance. I took all my magazines and I burned them. All of them. And there was never that drive. Before for me, it was uncontrollable. I mean, had, had I had the internet in those days to go to, it would have just, just killed me. But there was no longer this drive. How could I have been so freed? God freed me on that day from something that was so clear to me that just drove me and it had its grip on me. So let me just mention, if you struggle with pornography, it will consume you. And you need to begin to get an accountability partner and work through this thing. And you can get these accountability accounts that take every, every website you visit and send it to an accountability partner. 
And you can do this. And these are not bad things to do. And if you are obsessed with, with pornography, as I was, you realize you probably need that. And it is a good thing to do that. Um, and so, so um, the other thing that happened is I started to read the Scriptures and I started to read the Scriptures every day. That has meant more to me than anything in my Christian growth. I read the Scriptures every day, every day, every day to this day. So for over 30 years, I have read this Bible every day. And I read it from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I read through Revelation chapter 22, and when I'm done, I start again. And I pick, off, pick up where I left off the day before. It is a tremendous practice. The Word of God promises that if we meditate on this book, it will make us strong. And we will have success wherever we go. And if you're, if you're anti-success, you must be anti-Bible. Because the Bible speaks about it, but it doesn't speak about it in the success of this world. It speaks about it in the quality of life that comes through a relationship. This book has become, to me, my instructor, my teacher. It teaches me. And, and, and it talks about, God, uh, uh, Moses said to Joshua, if you meditate on this book, you will be strong and you will have success wherever you go. If you meditate on this book. And Moses says, the last thing he says to the people of Israel, imagine Moses, after all he's written, after all he's done, the end of his life, the end of his life, he says something to this group of Jews that he's written to and traveled with for 40 years through the wilderness, what is the summation of everything the man would say? How is he going to sum this whole thing up? And he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 45, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take heart all the words with which I am warning you today which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. That's it. Imagine if you were a grandmother or a grandfather, and you're on your deathbed. And you've spent 40 years instructing people. What is the last thing you're going to say? That's got to be a pretty important thing. This is the last thing he has to say. He says, this word, don't forget it. Teach your children. And for you, it is not an idle word. Indeed, it is your life. This word is your life. This word is your life. And the sad thing is, that Christians today are very much like the Jews that I grew up with. They do not know the Scriptures. And because of that, there is very indication of life within them. This book is our life. This has done so much for me. Through this book, I have learned many things that, that I would have just trashed. I have learned how to love my wife. I've learned how to be a father. I've learned how to treat my children. 
through this book and the teachings of this book and the interactions that I've had as a result of this book through the body of Christ, the church, I have learned all of this. These things are treasures that so few people know that your wife can be your friend, that your spouse is there for a lifetime, that you treasure and you guard this relationship. These things are not second nature, and I don't take it as that. Because half of you, if we look at statistics, half of you in this room will undergo the pain of divorce. Statistically, half of you. Statistically, that's what it is in the church. Do you want to be on the half that divorces? You can be, if you neglect this book. In fact, you probably will be, if you neglect this book. If you do not take this book and consider it your life, you probably will not experience the joy of a happy relationship in a marriage. Learning how to be free of a duplicitous life, where I act in front of my wife and children the same way that I act anywhere else. I was just trying to explain to my, my youngest son what a duplicitous life means. And I said, so for example, you know, I, I'm, I'm the same way around you as I am when I'm around you and other people. He says, you are not. <laughs> so what do you mean? He says, oh, you're much nicer when other people are around. So, you know, my, my example just, just totally deflated. But I, I, I assured him, I'm doing the best I can. But you, you learn these things through this book. You learn what integrity is. You learn that God sees everything, that the light and the darkness is the same to Him. That everything that a man does is exposed before the Lord. Nothing that I do. Do I hide from the Lord? So I don't surprise Him? Everything He's seen. The forgiveness of God. Understanding the forgiveness of God. Understanding what it is to repent. To ask forgiveness. Very few people in the world ever, ever ask forgiveness until they're cornered. And... Like their careers are on the line because all of a sudden, all the press is there with the microphones and the spotlights. Did you do this? Here's the picture. Here's the film. Here's the testimony. Uh, uh, I regret if I have hurt anyone. Now, you know, <laughs> and, and the learning how to ask forgiveness and learning how to forgive readily. I never knew this. This book and the body of Christ has meant so much to me. This is what I treasure about this book and the body of Christ. Knowing Him, having this relationship, you can't find it other places. You know, we, I, I talk with all sorts of industries and I deal with these issues with my students. This whole thing of, of uh, um, ethics... I mean, I don't know how you can really teach ethics. I mean, if a man is a crook, he's a crook. They're just saying this is wrong, you know, it hurts other people. He's a crook, he's a crook. But this exposes the heart so that when Jesus speaks one line, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Bam! Because it's truth. 
this is the this is the 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 the, the foundation stone of living an ethical life and honesty and integrity come shining through your facial actions. People know when a person is honest and they know when a person is a fraud. What happens is we train our mind to deny it when we see it in other people. We say, no, he's not a fraud. He's he's a good guy. He's a fraud. Truth comes resonating through your life because of this book. I encourage you to read this book, to study it, to meditate on it. Because for you it is not an idle word. Indeed, for you it is your life. And understanding the body of Christ and a relationship with the body of Christ, you really ought to be in church. You really ought to attend a church and become a part of the life of the church. If you don't have a church to go to, West University Baptist Church has a pickup at 8.30, 8.15, and a pickup at 9.15 in front of the Allen Center every Sunday. So you're without excuse. Uh, I couldn't find a church. It's found you. All right? And there's many other good churches in town you can go to. You have to be involved in something where you're giving something out. You will receive according to the amount that you give. And many times over. If you're stingy, you will receive stinginess in your life. If you're a giver, you will receive things in your life. Learn to give to the body of Christ through a campus group whether that be BSM or Crusade or Ivy or something, where you're giving up your time. So remember, attendance is different than giving. So that means that you become a part of the body of Christ, that you do some activity, some role there, where people are depending upon you, teaching a Bible study, something to be a part. You will receive much more than you give. And if you give stinginess, you will receive a lot of stinginess in your life. You find a stingy person and I'll show you what their life is going to be like. Their children won't even like them. You find a giving person and they receive so much back many, many times over. My wife is so giving. She's always giving stuff to people. Always giving things to people. Always doing things for people. And that woman cannot even... There's not a second the phone is not ringing people wanting to bless her with stuff and give her stuff. And I just follow behind her and pick up the crumbs of stuff that she drops. It is tremendous to see a giving life. You learn to give and you will receive many times over. Where is that principle? It's in Luke chapter 6. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And it gives it specifically there in Luke chapter 6. If you give judgment, you will receive judgment. If you give mercy, you will receive mercy. Many times over, overflowing, it will pour into your lap. This book, this word, is our treasure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these young people. And I pray that through what I said, somebody would be touched and moved. Father, I pray for the young men here that are struggling with internet pornography. Father, that they would see that this is a cancer that will destroy their lives. They will seek accountability and they will seek relationship that will allow them to walk in a manner of freedom. Father, I pray for those here who don't know You, 
who've never asked Jesus into their heart, that they would ask Him to forgive them. Father, that, that they would pour out to You their hearts and ask forgiveness and experience the freedom that comes in knowing You. And Father, I pray for these others that they would understand what it is to take the Word of God, to meditate on it, and make it a part of their lives. And to become a part of the body of Christ wherever they are. Father, I pray Your blessing to be upon them. Draw these fine young people. Father, have mercy on them, I ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen.